This is the second in our four-part movie series this summer. We started with uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban in um, early July. And then coming up next is Shawshank Redemption. And we'll finish with Groundhog Day. Hopefully just once we'll do that. I picked Lars and the Real Girl. I did a survey of folks online and asked people what were their favorite movies, and not just their favorite movies, but movies that were to them a kind of sacred text, something from which they drew ethics and morality, guidance in their lives. And um, and I tried to choose one that had at least a few people giving it a vote. I think, all told, I had probably 40 to 50 movie recommendations, so we can do this again if we want to. Um, and Lars and the Real Girl had a, a couple of people voted for it, but it was one I especially wanted to have as part of the series. And I will say, I'm going to talk about the plot of the movie today. I hope that many of you had a chance to see it, either at the viewing that we sponsored or on your own. Um, and But you'll probably, if you didn't, there'll be some spoilers. But it's not really the kind of movie that the spoilers are going to mess up your enjoyment of the movie, I think. So hopefully you'll stay with me and not be cranky with me. Um, by the end. So the reason, you know, one reason, of course, that I wanted this movie as part of our series is I really wanted to give you all the gift of being able to say that you went to your congregation on Sunday morning to talk about a blow-up doll. (laughs) I just feel like that's a gift I can give you to share with your friends or your coworkers or your family. You know, what do you talk about at West? What is it that you do in a humanist congregation? Well, We had a really great address, hopefully, um, about a blow-up doll. That was really good. So you're welcome. Um, So Lars and the Real Girl is about um, a man named Lars uh, who suffers from really severe social anxiety, a social phobia, an inability to be with people. He actually has um, experiences physical pain on human contact, and there's a, a... really moving and um, difficult to watch, but beautiful scene as a doctor tries to help him with that experience. So he suffers significant social anxiety. He lives in the garage of his, you know, I mean, it's fixed up, but, you know, in sort of, it it is still the garage. I mean, it is pretty much the garage of his family home. His parents have both died. And his brother, Gus, lives with his wife, Karen, in the home itself. And, um, and Gus and Karen are very concerned about Lars. Very, he, he works, um, but then he just comes right home and goes back into the garage. He won't come over for dinner. He won't come over for breakfast. They're very concerned about his you know, lack of social connections in the world. And Karen, especially, who is pregnant at the beginning of the movie and all through it, is really worried, you know, just wants to try to connect with him, wants to try to bring him into their family and into, into the community in this small Minnesota, I think, town where they live. Um, and so they're really happy when Lars shows up one day at, the, at their doorstep and says, I have a visitor. She's staying in the garage. Um, and they're, you know, oh, she? You know, okay, great. You know, I met her online. Okay, that's great. And um, she can't, she's, she, he says she's, a, um, she's very religious. Um, she's just come from Brazil where she was a missionary. And so she... It's not appropriate for her to stay with me in the garage, um, so I'm hoping that she can stay with you. And of course, you know, Gus and Karen say, "Absolutely, we're going to have the house. The room's going to be ready in just a minute." I'm, we're so excited to meet her. Um, 
And, and he says, I, you know, I hope it'll be okay. She's in, she's in a wheelchair. Oh, you know, I, we do not care about that. We are so pleased. Her, your friend is our friend. And so then it cuts to the next shot um, where you see that um, Bianca, his um, new girlfriend, is a blow-up doll. Uh, she's in a wheelchair because she's a blow-up doll. She can't walk. Um, <laughs> nor can she talk. And she, she comes wearing, like, blow-up doll clothes. So she's got silver fishnets and... You know, the whole Kit Kat and Caboodle. But she does need different clothes for the Minnesota weather. And so Karen lends her clothes. And, um, and the story kind of unfolds from there. Gus, particularly Lars's brother, um, is deeply concerned about what this delusion means for Lars. Lars, has, who had always had social anxiety, also always been a little bit strange, has now crossed a threshold for Gus, from a little bit strange to believing a blow-up doll is real. And it is clear over the course of the movie that Lars believes that this doll is real. This is Bianca, his girlfriend. He talks with her. He brings her places. He treats her and asks his family to treat her as a real person. Lars and the real girl. One of the things that I love about the movie is um, how well it gets to that sort of visceral experience of being with someone whom you find weird. The, the movie has, um, right from the very beginning, that sort of awkward feeling. You know, it's, it's portrayed so beautifully, poignantly, and well in the movie. And that's really where Gus and Karen, to some extent, start. Gus, Lars's brother, they, t- they, they convince Lars that Bianca should probably go to the doctor to be checked out. Um, and conveniently, in Hollywood fashion, the doctor in this small Minnesota town is also an extremely skilled and credentialed psychotherapist. So um, that's helpful and possibly not super realistic. Um, Dagmar is the doctor. So they convince Lars to take, um, to take Bianca to the doctor so she can get checked out since she's just come from Brazil. And, of course, thus begins. And Dagmar, the doctor, says um, that she thinks Bianca needs weekly treatments. And the treatment involves um, a treatment from Dagmar, and then, and then she needs to rest for the treatment to work in the doctor's office. And so perhaps Gus would just, or Lars would just, you know, kind of hang out with Dagmar, the doctor, while Bianca's having her treatment, and they chat a little bit. And, um, but, but when... When Gus first comes to the doctor with Lars and Lars's girlfriend, Bianca, he says to the doctor, can you fix him? Can you fix him? He is so concerned for Lars, but also for what everyone will think now that his brother has crossed the threshold from just a little strange to truly abnormal. One of the things that I especially love about this film and another reason that I wanted to bring it here, not just so you could say that you went to your congregation to talk about blow-up dolls, um, is that the church community that Lars and Gus and Karen and eventually Bianca belong to 
is one of the core principles within the movie, one of the really core foundational communities. Very early in the movie, as it becomes clear that Lars and Bianca are a fixture that are there to stay and that Lars believes Bianca is his girlfriend and will continue believing that, you see a small committee meeting of the church. It's like in a church basement room. I mean, it could be any congregation, synagogue, mosque, it doesn't matter. You have all of the characters, you know, the the church ladies there, you know, with her like clipboard from ushering, you know, you have the pastor, Reverend Bach is sitting there and they're in a little circle and Gus and and Karen, the brother and sister-in-law have invited them to come together and, and, and they say, you know, Lars really loves going to church. And in fact, you see Lars at the very beginning of the movie, um, Lars sitting at the back of the congregation during a sermon before Bianca has come into his life. And you hear the pastor speaking and saying, love one another, that is the one true law. So out of this experience, they have this small group meeting to talk about what to do about Bianca, because obviously, you know, Bianca's very religious, and Lars really likes going to church, and he's going to want to bring Bianca to church with him. That's what you do with your religious girlfriend who's staying with you for a while. And, um, and people are talking about how weird it is and how strange it is, you know, and they're not sure that they can do that, and, you know, it's really not appropriate. And, um, and the church lady I just love church ladies. The church lady with, like, the clipboard who just finished ushering, and she probably also teaches Sunday school, you know. She starts bringing up all the weird things that everybody else in the group has experienced. She brings up their relatives and their own experiences, and, and she says, you know, this is no different. We're all a little bit weird. And the pastor then kind of brings them together. That's not necessarily the, the ultimate direction he wants them to take. And closes the small group meeting with, well, the question always is, what would Jesus do? And it it cuts away from that scene, and, and you think, you know, really, probably Jesus wouldn't keep someone from coming to church just because they have with them a doll whom they love. And so you see, you know, then Lars and Bianca showing up at church and sitting there together. And over the course of the movie, more and more community members begin to treat Bianca like a real girl. You see, right after the first church service, you know, out comes Bianca being pushed in her wheelchair. She's now in really much more appropriate clothes for Minnesota sensibilities and not being a blow-up doll. And, um, and she's given the flower arrangement to take home with her to make, the, um, to make her room pretty. The woman gives it right to her, puts it on her lap in the wheelchair and says, we're glad you were with us, Bianca. And little by little, the community comes together around Bianca and really, of course, around Lars. Bianca reads to children at the hospital, helped by a book that electronically <laughs> reads a story. She's uh, actually honored at one point at a VFW banquet. That is the occasion of Lars and Bianca's first and only fight. Lars had planned to stay home and watch videos with Bianca, but her friends from the VFW are taking her out to be uh, recognized as a volunteer of the year, and um, so she has to go. They drive her back and forth to her part-time job in a clothing shop, which does make sense. The community creates a whole life around this person 
because Lars needs them to. Because Lars loves her and needs her in, her, in his life for some reason. I, this is the big spoiler alert, so I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You have to just walk out or something if you don't want the spoiler. But um, ultimately, um, Bianca, Bianca dies by the end of the movie. And, um, and she is in a memorial, a memorial service is held for her at the church. Um, it becomes the way that Lars removes himself from this delusion and prepares himself to be forward, to move forward. And I share it because I loved what Reverend Bach said about Bianca at the memorial service. He said, Bianca reached out and touched us all in ways we could never imagine. She was a teacher. She was a lesson in courage. And Bianca loved us all, especially Lars. And it's true, you know. The things that Lars was able to do with Bianca that he hadn't been able to do before Bianca came into his life are significant. So I love the way, we'll talk about that in in just a minute, but I love the way that this movie shows a whole community coming together around this person with a very identifiable need and filling that need for him. Anthony Pinn, who is the uh, author of The End of God Talk, which is out in our bookshelf and which I highly recommend to you, talks about community as the foundational symbol instead of God or other symbols of African-American non-theistic humanism. And I would say that that idea, community as the foundational symbol, really works for humanism more broadly, whether it's Jewish humanism, ethical culture humanism, um, non-theistic humanism, however you define it. And so, of course, as I watched that small group scene and Reverend Bach asking, what would Jesus do, I wondered what would we do here at Wes. If someone came to us with a need like this, I wondered, what have we done as a community? How have we as a group of people welcomed in those who are different, who are weird? Those of us who are weird, every once in a while, you know, a Wes member will like make a confession or something on Facebook that they were a nerd as a teenager, and I think, was it, isn't that, was that all of us? I feel like that was all of us, wasn't it? <laughs> Although it wasn't. It wasn't really. We have cheerleaders. We have jocks. We're like the breakfast club, you know, of <laughs> congregations. But certainly it is true that each one of us has something a little weird, just like the church lady said something about us that is strange, something about us that in some situations leaves us out of the circle Edward Markham talked about in his poem, the circle that is drawn. And sometimes there are folks in our community who are more different than others. That is true who are neurologically diverse, emotionally diverse, who are perhaps politically diverse in ways that we don't often see in our community. Sometimes people are more different than others. And our question, I think, is what should we do? 
There's another movie I love that really speaks to this, and you are lucky it didn't end up as part of the movie series. That's Frozen. <laughs> I still love that movie. I don't care that like the kids are all over it by now. It doesn't matter. I love it so much. We did do a whole Frozen platform a few years ago. Some of you remember that. Some of you were sad about it. Um, <clears throat> but there's a great song in Frozen called Fixer Upper. Um, which the troll, um, rock troll people sing, obviously. Um, The little trolls are singing about how we help each other to be better. Um, We're not saying you can change them because people don't really change. Ah. Um, We're only saying that love's a force that's powerful and strange. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. Throw a little love their way and you'll bring out their best. Everyone's a bit of a fixer-upper, the trolls tell us. That's what it's all about. Father, sister, brother, we need each other to raise us up and round us out. That song, the troll people song, really, for me, is one of the anthems of religious community. That we are a place where we raise each other up and round each other out. The whole point of community, in fact, is to hang out with people who are different than we are. If we hung out just with people who were easy, who we already liked, we might as well, I was going to say we might as well just stay with our family, but that might not be a good, that might not fit the bill. Maybe we just stay with ourselves on a good day in a room all alone. But no, in community, we are supposed to be with people who are different. And that difference takes many forms, racially, ethnically, and culturally different, politically different, theologically different, and also neurologically different, physically different. People who think differently, look differently, act differently than we are. So what happens to Lars? Is he, in fact, fixed? as his brother Gus had hoped. Does that fixer-upper thing work? Did the doctor, Dagmar, do the trick? Dagmar is a wonderful figure in this movie, the doctor and also conveniently extremely skilled psychotherapist. Um, But I think in many ways what the movie tells us is that any fixing came from the community's willingness to let Lars be who he was and have what he needed. He was telling them that in that time, he needed Bianca in his life, and they allowed it and allowed it fully. Now, I do want to put a caveat in community that, of course, there are times that what people need or seem to want is not safe for the community as a whole. And and there have been times in this community when we've had folks that we have, have struggled to have part of our community, and we've had to take a break sometimes so that we can preserve the safety of the community as a whole. But then we've been able to welcome folks back in. That, to me, is a powerful thing for a community to be able to do, to maintain the boundary of safety for the community while honoring what each person needs. So this community, Bianca posed no threat to the community. In fact, as you heard, she was like a star volunteer at the Children's Hospital. So, um, so the community was able to give Lars just what he needed. 
And because of that, with Bianca, he was suddenly able to do all the things he had been scared of doing. He was able to go and have dinner with his brother and sister-in-law. He was able to have a fight. He was able to talk for the first time about his grief at losing his mother and then his father. He was able to see Dagmar, the doctor, and talk through how he felt. He was able even to go to a party. Lars, at the end of the movie, is clearly going to continue to be socially awkward. And, surely, Lars's ability to process his feelings in a rapidly relative, uh, relatively rapid time using a convenient, non-harmful delusion that he then is able to resolve completely out of his life and move forward with a cute coworker may be a bit more of a Hollywood ending. <laughs> than we sometimes have in our lives. But still, the idea that we can help each other to live more successful and meaningful lives is a true idea. The idea that a community is about meeting people where they are and bringing out their best, whatever that looks like for them, that is the beautiful part for me. The town doing that for Lars would have meant that it was a success whether or not he ever was ready to give up Bianca. You could imagine decades with Bianca in this town's life, all of them treating her with respect and love because they were really treating Lars with respect and love. So finally... I wonder who the real girl is in the title. There is a real girl in Lars's life, Margot, his co-worker, who sort of skates in and out of the movie, um, quite upset to learn at some point that he has a girlfriend whom he casually mentions, then she learns who the girlfriend is. It's Bianca the blow-up doll, and then she feels a little bit more confused. Um, So there is a real living, breathing girl Perhaps that's the real girl, Lars and the real girl, the one he is trying to work toward relationship with but isn't yet ready. And yet I wonder about Bianca and whether she might be the real girl. This is where the philosopher in me gets interested in the movie. What makes, after all, a person real? You might have had a stuffed animal or a doll from childhood who felt real to you, perhaps more than one. I remember trying to talk and figure out with my best friend um, at the time. I was a child, by the way. Just wanted to clarify that. Um, (laughs) Whether we thought when we gave food to our dolls, whether they ate the food and then magically replaced it, that seemed like that was one possibility. We were very scientific. Or did they... Uh, take such small bites that we just didn't notice the bites of the food that, that they were taking. And maybe that was why it looked like they weren't eating the food. But obviously, you know, they were because we were giving them food and they were real. They were real to us. Makes me think about all of the things in our lives that feel real because essentially we love them. And more than that, not just that we love them, but that they bring out our best. In ethical culture, we talk about people as ethical agents. 
we talk about the idea that you can't be an ethical agent all by yourself. You can't be a whole, full person by yourself in that room, you know, the one that you were building where only people that agree with you are allowed in, so it's just you. That's not a real life, we say. To be able to be in relationship with others, that's what you need to be able to practice ethics in the world. And I wonder if by that definition, if Bianca wasn't just as real as the rest of the people in that movie, in that community, because she brought out Lars's best. She was imbued with realness thanks to the community, thanks to Lars's own imaginative way to respond to his anxiety, thanks to his family who loved him and cared for him and dealt with whatever social stigma they thought might be coming and wheeled that blow-up doll into church on Sunday morning. She became real for them. She brought out Lars's best, and everyone else's as well. So why is this movie a sacred text, a guiding principle? Why did I choose it for this series? It's not entirely, of course, because it's about a blow-up doll, although I will say it's important in our community to talk openly about sexuality. If you, I, I hope, whether or not you have seen the movie, you have caught on that this doll was never about sex for Lars. It was about relationship about specifically what we are about in this community, the idea that ethics is indeed grounded in relationship with others. The movie stretches our understanding, I think, of whom we can be in relationship with and of whom we include and how we include them. When we draw that circle to take in the stranger, the loner, the weirdo, the misfit... Do we do it because we feel sorry for them, because we want to be nice, because we have a sense of obligation? Frankly, those are, I think, kind of okay places to start. But my hope always is that we find what Lars's community found, that in drawing the circle wide enough for everyone, wide enough for Bianca and wide enough for Lars, who couldn't have come in without Bianca at his side. That when we draw that circle wide enough, it is ourselves who are transformed. It is ourselves, every part of ourselves, the loner part and the weirdo part and the misfit part, that is welcomed in to the circle that we find it's not just the strange one, but all of us. All of us and all of us. And that may be what a real girl looks like. It's certainly what real community looks like.